Anyone catch that? I almost like dropped this microphone, and it's probably worth more than my life. Um, what's up, Revolution? I hope that you will do better than that later, but I'm not going to do it again. Um, so I'm glad you guys are all here this evening. Um, I'm pumped. I see a lot of new people here. Um, I know why. I don't know if everyone remembers why, but I know why I see some new people here. Um, just a few announcements before we get started this evening. Um, just a, a little update. Um, yesterday we had a breakfast kind of giveaway that we did to try to connect with our community here in the East End and get to know everyone. And uh, our motto here at Revolution is the worst thing that you can do is fail. And, uh, and we, we tried to serve some breakfast around 9 a.m., uh, forgetting where we're at. Here in Portsmouth, and people aren't exactly awake around then. I don't know how many of you are from the East End, but that's just true. It's not me being mean or making fun of anybody, uh, although it is kind of funny that we had forgotten. And uh, so we got to we got to hang out and talk with probably ten or fifteen people yesterday. It was pretty cool. Uh, but we're going to be doing some more things here after Christmas, uh, starting in January again, probably every other Saturday or so um, around noon. <laughs> That's more likely. Uh, more people would be around that we can give food to and, and get to know and tell them about what we're doing here at Revolution, what we're about, and, and more importantly, have gospel-centered conversations with them. So I just want to let you guys know, I uh, appreciate all you guys who came out and all of you who were praying for it but couldn't be there. Um, that being said, this Friday, right, this Friday, how many of you guys are going home, college students? All right, you guys don't count anymore. All right, <laughs> I still love you guys, but uh, but this Friday, if you're still here in Scioto County or Pike County, wherever you're from, uh, we want you to be here from five to seven p.m. We are having a Christmas dinner for the community. We've been uh, we put some flyers out in the the bars and the convenience stores around here. Um, we're going to be passing out flyers on Wednesday or Thursday this week, not like door knocking and telling people that we're having a dinner here at the church this Friday from five to seven, and we need as many of you here as as possible so that we can have people that'll both serve food and talk to the people in our community and, again, try to have these gospel-driven conversations, meaningful conversations with them so we can get to know our, our people around here that we're trying to reach out to. Um, but cool, so that's kind of our East End outreach announcements. Um, if you guys are looking to get into a small group, we have Allie and AJ. Could you guys raise your hand? A couple of our deacons, they are doing uh, Advent, the Advent Conspiracy. They're talking about, you know, the, the coming birth of Christ that we're celebrating, and it's a good time. I've went through the material before. Advent Conspiracy is always pretty cool. Um, and they're doing that tomorrow uh, at 5.30 p.m. at their house, and their house is at 212 8th Street. So if anyone is interested in that, please come see me. Is it? What? Two, yeah, I'm sorry, 2112. I can't read my own notes. I'm sorry. It's at 2112 8th Street. So if anyone wants to know, come see me or them or anyone on stage, and we'll help you out with that. Um, and if you guys are looking for some opportunities to serve, um, as always, we need nur- uh, nursery volunteers or Rev Kid volunteers, as we're calling it now. You can see my wife, Autumn. Raise your hand. Uh, or me, or again, anyone on stage, if you're interested in serving our church that way. Um, and there's always the Fuel the Revolution tithe box you can give money to. I know most of you guys are broke college students, and I get it, but feel free to give what you can. Um, And I think that's all the announcements I have, but there's a real good one. Kelly Craft, ladies and gentlemen, the the best-looking man in this church. He looks like just a little Abercrombie model. I say it every single week that I talk about him. Like, you're his parents, correct? Well done. Like, like just gorgeous, (laughs) gorgeous, gorgeous kid. Um, kid, he's like, he's my age, I don't know why I called him a kid, he's so good looking, I can't get past it, I'm jealous, he's the only guy that can be so good looking that he gets made fun of for being good looking, like how does that happen, that doesn't even happen to George Clooney, uh, but yeah, Kelly is going to be preaching this evening, and I am super excited, I know a lot of you guys are pumped to hear uh, what God's given him, and, and, and what he has to say, 
So uh, without any, any further ado, I'm going to pray, and, um, and then we're going to get rolling on this. Oh, also, I forgot one last thing. Um, if you didn't lock your car, or there is anything valuable in your car that's like in plain sight, go now um, after we pray, and as people are like shaking hands and, and talking with each other for a few minutes, go make for certain that everything's hidden away. The weather's kind of nice, more people are walking around, and there was actually a car got broke into this morning right outside of here, so... We're not being just funny whenever we say, like, we're in the ghetto, like, for real. <laughs> like, go, go lock your stuff up. Um, but let's go ahead and pray, and then Kelly will come up here. Uh, father, thank you um, just, for, just for being a good father to us. Uh, God, I pray that you would give us a, a, a somberness and a stillness uh, as, as Kelly gets up here to, to preach your word. Father, prepare our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Give us uh, hearts that can respond. God, I pray that if there's anyone in here who, who is considering faith in Christ or who maybe has never heard the gospel or, or has heard a lot of religion but doesn't really know how much that you love and, and what a good father you are, that, that their hearts would be pricked by your Holy Spirit this evening um, through your word and, and what you've said about being a good father and, and, and how much you love us and how much you've displayed your love in Christ. Uh, father, just, just do your work here. Do what men can't do. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. I like it. Okay, so this will be the first time me speaking through the mic that I'm not actually doing the announcements. And I kind of, I don't know, that feels weird, but in a good way. I feel like the announcements are always so awkward. Um, But knowing me, I'll make this really awkward too. Um, (laughs) Jim, especially Jim and a couple other people kept telling me, hey, make sure you uh, say a couple jokes um, throughout your sermon. And yes, Brandon, I know you'd love that. Um, but I, I'm one of the types of people who, when I try to tell jokes, um, it just doesn't really go that well. And so most people laugh at me, not because I'm telling a joke, but because I'm being serious. So I'll just stick to being serious, and you guys will probably keep laughing at me as we go on. Um, so yeah, I'm, I don't really have much for, more to say for an intro. Um, tonight, we are, we're still in the book of Luke. Um, as Dowdy has been preaching, you, hopefully you guys got the slides and stuff ready to go. Um, we're going to be in the East View tonight, um, so sorry for those of you who like the NLT. Um, and those of you who do not have a Bible, uh, there's NLT um, book uh, Bibles in the back of the pews. You guys are more than welcome to take one home if you do not have one. Um, but tonight we're talking about prayer. And my fear is that we as Christians often, uh, we have a tendency to fail to pray because uh, we have misconceptions about God. Um, There are probably many reasons that we fail to pray. Um, And I want to hit on, I just want to touch briefly on three main reasons why I think we fail to pray. Um, And, uh, you know, this parable, I think, will address some of those. The first one um, is that we feel like God won't hear us. Um, We believe the lie that God is, um, is far from us or that we're too imperfect or that God is an unjust judge. And if we read in James 1, 6, um, 6 through 7, he tells us to pray with faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So how can we, um, if we don't have a right conception of God, how can we, um, how can we be able to pray at all? So, of course, that makes, that makes sense, that if we do not have a right conception of God, then, um, of course, we'll have a fear that he won't hear our prayers, right? That makes sense. Of course, our prayers will be hindered by that. Um, another reason why we fail to pray is because we don't know how to pray. 
we often lack the knowledge of how to pray, um, and we, uh, we often don't read our Bible enough. Um, and honestly, look at the Lord's Prayer. Um, Jesus, it will instruct us how to pray um, all right. You know, we, we don't have to have confidence to pray, but oftentimes we just feel like we don't know how, how to pray. So that also hinders our prayer life. And three, I think, is the, the, most, the most real reason why we fail to pray at all um, is because we're lazy. I mean, you, okay, yeah, who, who's often fell asleep or, or, you know, been too tired to pray? You don't have to raise your hand. I know you all are raising your hands on the, on the inside. Um, you know, we often don't pray because we're lazy and we're not convicted enough. We are not convinced that prayer is beneficial. We often, I find this funny, people ask, um, they say, uh, if God's sovereign, why pray? That's, that's just so foolish. Um, if, uh, if we're not convinced that prayer um, will pay off for us, then we, we will fail to pray. Um, another quick look in James um, 4, 2-3. He says, you have not because you ask not. Um, so you... Of course, God doesn't answer your prayers because you fail to even pray. And when you do ask, you ask wrongly. So, of course, um, after looking at some of these reasons why, why we fail to pray, of course, um, you know, it seems like tonight then I should be telling you guys how uh, to pray more effectively or, or um, why we should pray more often. Um, and I'll shed a little bit of light on that tonight, but um, hopefully that's not the only thing that you guys will take home. This passage of the persistent... Raise your hand if you've read the passage of the persistent widow before. The unjust judge, it's sometimes called. Um, This passage is certainly about persistent prayer. But if we walk away from this, then um, thinking that we should just pray more or pray harder, then I think we've really missed the point of this this parable. Tonight, we're not going to be so much looking at how to pray, but, um, or even how prayer works. Because that, we could do a whole sermon series on, on how prayer works and um, but but we're going to look at why we even need to pray. Um, this parable is not to show that we pray long enough because it can have that tendency if you read it the wrong the wrong way. That if we're just persistent enough, that God will hear us. It's to contrast our good judge of a father to a measly selfish judge. Um, and I want to show you guys tonight that that our God, if we are in Christ, that He will vindicate us, and He already has done that. And, um, but I want to ask you and let you guys just reflect just for a brief moment on yourselves and see, does your prayer life reflect who God is? And are you able to come persistently to him because of that? And so that's what we'll, uh, that's what we'll look uh, through tonight. And so um, if you can get the first verse, uh, we'll be looking at Luke 18. If you guys want to use your Bibles, um, if not, I'll have it up here, so no worries. So let's just read through this one, real, real quick one time um, in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continually coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So that's the text tonight. And right off the bat, Jesus says, um, This is what the parable means. 
to the effect, uh, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. So um, this is where it can go easily wrong. Um, Jesus is not saying that, you know, you guys need to pray, pray, pray. I want you to pray. Um, That's the only way God will hear you is if you're persistent. Notice, I think the key part in this first verse is always pray and not to lose heart. So we might ask the question, how are we to do this? In other words, how are we to always pray? You know, like in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when Paul says, pray, uh, pray, um, uh, pray always, always be in prayer. How, how are our lives supposed to be marked by a constant life of prayer? And how are we to uh, have faith that God will answer us? And how do we refrain from not losing heart? Let's look at the rest of the parable. Um, in verse 2, we see a judge who neither fears God nor man. And just to get a little bit of context, um, it's not just a simple guy who uh, they've elected as, um, as a judge. In the, in the uh, old Jewish times, they would, um, the judges were required to have knowledge of the Old Testament law. So they were required to um, keep the law and, um, and, and base their judging on top of the law. So this guy was a Pharisee by this definition then because he knew, he knew the law. He knew that he was supposed to um, care for uh, you know, the least of these and he was supposed to do all of these things that God would command a, ju- a just judge to do. And it says that he, he rejects God. Not only that, he doesn't care for the people. So we have a guy who's who's um, in the ju- judicial position as a judge and doesn't even care about justice, basically, which is a shame. So he despises truth, he rejects God, and he hates people. And then we see the other character in this parable is the widow. By definition, the widow does not have a husband. And if we want to look again on this uh, Jewish context, that um, women did not have m- much authority. We all probably know of that. Uh, and um, it doesn't mention in this, in this uh, text but the widow probably did not have a brother, sons, or a close male relative to, um, to speak on her behalf, or else she would have went to them. And this widow is not just complaining, like, hey, um, my husband died, so I'm not, I, I can't really afford to pay uh, the rent this month. Like, she says, um, she says, give me justice against my adversary. She's coming pleading to uh, this, this judge. So by the language of this widow, um, she's, she's saying, give me justice. She's crying out. She's, she is a beggar. She has no one else to go to. So she has no, no family. She is going to this judge. So regardless of, this, of, the, of her claims, of the reason for her claims, we're not, we're not really sure. But this judge, uh, by Old Testament standard, should, uh, should be able to vindicate her, should be able to right her wrong, should be able to say, okay, well, we'll take care of that. We'll write you wrong. Um, as we can clearly see in the Old Testament, that Jews are commanded to care for the orphans and the widows. So, so it would be his legal duty to care for her and see that she has her needs met. Out of mercy, he should have helped her. He alone had the power to do so. But he doesn't care for the widow or for God. And so I want us to notice also, this is really important, the widow isn't afraid to come to this judge. She admits her inability to do anything. And so you guys can think, how often do we approach God with this type of humility? But in verse 4, we see that for a while he refused. So, so he did say, um, he says, heck no, I'm not going to waste my time with you. You, um, uh, you know, on, I, I would rather tend to things of my own liking, like myself. 
So he's a coward. He's apathetic. He is uh, selfish, careless, cold, and he is not. His heart is not moved by this woman's. Um, is not moved to compassion by this woman's uh, state. But because she's desperate and um, she has nothing else better to do, she keeps seeking him. She is persistent. I'll read um, verse five again. Though. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So we see that only because he's being annoyed, not because he's moved by compassion, does he figure out, man, I need to see what this woman really needs and stop ignoring her. So finally he shows her justice. But he makes it clear, he makes sure, I'm not doing it because I love her. I'm not doing it because I think she needs help. I'm doing it because... I'm, I'm not doing it because, you know, I hate God. I hate people. I'm doing it because she's, it's only for my benefit that I help her. And so, um, you know, he's giving, he's giving justice to the widow only because he wants her off his back. She's like a pesky gnat to him. But in a sense, it was because of her persistence that her prayers were answered. So don't, I'm not telling you guys that if you, if, as long as you bug God enough, as long as you pray persistently enough with the right might, that you will get your prayers answered. That's not what I said. Josh. Notice that, this, that um, it isn't exactly her persistence that is getting her request answered. In one sense it is, in another sense it isn't. She did repeatedly come to him. Why did she do that? Because she believed that he could answer her case. So, in a sense, she had faith that the judge would answer her. That is what helped her um, continually come to him. So, in essence, it's because of her faith that she was rewarded, because she trusted in him. Because who else would she go to? She had no family members. Her judge was the person she was supposed to go to. And this is why Jesus wants us to be persistent. You may think at times, like, why should I go to God? I can't physically hear him. Why pray? What's the good? But who else will you go to? Remember, this passage is talking about a widow who has no one else. So there's some, we come to some good news and some bad news, Rev. Here's the bad news. Um, at times, we may find ourselves in positions like the widow, beaten down, life's getting the best of us, and we're crying out for justice, and we're not getting any. We feel like we have no other option but to plead our case before God in hopes that he hears us. I mean, look at Job. We need vindication, we cry out. But we... Because we realize that we can do nothing in the grand scheme of things. We constantly have to rely on God to provide for us. He gives us our every breath. But that's, that's the bad news. But here's the good news. Though we may be in a position like the widow, God is not like that judge. The cool thing about this, this parable is Jesus is using an argument from lesser to greater. So he's saying, how much greater if, if this unrighteous judge from his own selfishness is able to do justice, how much greater can God, who is infinitely good, infinitely wonderful, give us justice to his own people? And the first part of verse 7 says, will not God give justice to his own chosen people? Of course he will. So if we're in Christ, we can trust him. But if we're outside of Christ, the only thing he'll answer is our sin. But he is a good judge, and he must judge accordingly. So if Jesus has taken our punishment on himself, we are free to come to him in prayer. He is a just God and can do no other. So thankfully, whether, whether we are worried about how to pray or not, 
He's already answered our, our most wonderful, you know, our, he's already heard our most pleading cry and he, by giving us salvation in Christ. So if you are in Christ, your biggest need has already been met. He's already justified you. Every wrong, every pain will have been righted, and, and he promises to be righted because of his work on the cross. We can rest in that. But there's another thing. Not only are we justified and counted righteous in God's sight, but he has adopted us too. And, you know, how often do, do you guys, are you guys all familiar with the term adoption? Raise your hand if you are. Okay, a lot, a lot we talk about justification, and that is very, very important, but a lot of times we don't talk about adoption. And um, it, merely justification does, doesn't do a whole lot for us. We merely escape hell without adoption. And, you know, that's great, but, but if we don't have a relationship with God, if we have not been adopted into his kingdom, then, then um, we've really gained nothing. So until we have an understanding of adoption that comes into the fact that God the, God the Father will treat us as his own, then we're hopeless. We, the fact that us as Christians, we cannot separate justification from adoption. We have to remember that, that if we've been counted righteous in Christ, that we have been adopted. As believers, we are heirs, co-heirs to Christ, counted as his own. Okay, so we're justified, great. We're, we're adopted, great. What does that really mean? Well, church, that means that we are free to come to God. We are free to pray persistently. We tend to want to handle things on ourselves, get human opinions, um, wisdom from other pastors or other godly people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in doing that, we disregard God. We, we cancel him out of the equation at all. And when we do not go to God, or when we do go to God, it's often super, superficial, short, loss of heart. It's empty. In the second part of verse 7, he says, his people who cry out to him day and night. This is a radical call to dependence. If God is the judge that here, hears, if this godless judge hears this woman's cry, how much will God hear your cry for help? And as believers, um, Romans 8.26, we can have comfort through the Holy Spirit that he promises to hear us even when we don't know what to pray. Now that is very comforting for me. So with the Holy Spirit, we can pray not just a mopey popey uh, God that says, you know, hey God, uh, I need your help today. I don't really can't really do much, but I, you know, I know you got my back, bro. That's not what He's calling us for. God wants God wants rich, heart wrenching prayer that cries out, "Save me! I have no other hope than you. I'll call out to you day and night." And when we realize that, our hearts will remember the good that He has done. Then we can rest. Then we can have peace. A good quote from Spurgeon. Canst thou put thy finger on a single page of thy diary and say, God was unfaithful then? I think the answer is no. God is always faithful. So with this parable, we can, we can not hesitate to go to God with everything. This woman goes to a man, a mere man, and only after being irritated, he decides to answer her prayer. But God hears our prayers if you are in Christ because he loves you and he will not fail. He will not turn you away because you belong to him. What good is being adopted by the creator of the universe if we do not get anything from the relationship? So, of course, there is good in prayer. Don't get me wrong. It's not just about us that are benefiting from, from prayer, but it's all about God. But God gets no glory from us 
when we fail to kneel before him in our helpless state. But God gets so much glory when we bow before him in expressing our need in times of trouble. Coming before him should be our natural disposition as sons and daughters of an almighty God. So remember, we are adopted, and that means that we are free to come to him persistently. And as a good judge, we can trust him. As a good father, we remember that he longs to hear us. So this question is, not will God hear my request? We already know that he will. He's given us a spirit. He's adopted us. The question is, why won't you ask? Our lives should reflect a life of gratitude. We should live a life of prayer. Everyone, everyone prays, even, even non-Christians pray. But how do you pray? Why do you pray? Because Jesus saved you? Even Jesus, we see, and this is such a great example I love looking at Jesus through the, the Gospels of him um, stopping his ministry in the midst of stopping his teaching to the disciples and going to, to, uh, on the side just to pray, just to spend time with the Father. He recognizes how important that is. So real quickly, we'll look at three examples um, of, of prayer and um, these three different transitions of prayer that we can go to. Um, there's, there's lots of examples of prayer throughout the New Testament. Um, Philippians 4 is a great passage about bringing your thanksgiving before God, and that will help conform our, our prayers and that he will give us peace in that. And also, of course, the Lord's Prayer. Um, but I think it's really important to go through the Psalms when we want to get a good picture of prayer because in the Psalms we see um, people like David who have a heart for God who leave it all out. They don't um, restrict their prayer to certain rules of orthodoxy. They're... They feel content to cry before him. And so I, that's what I want us to look, in, look here. Um, the first, the first uh, thing before we can even come to God, we must, we must be God-dependent. We must first be, be uh, able to admit our need. Um, and did you guys able to get the Psalms up? Um, Psalm 69, if we can look that up real quick. If not, I'll flip to it. flip to it. So in this prayer, we see God acknowledging, oh, sweet, sweet, sweet. Okay, so we see God, uh, David acknowledging his need before God. He says, save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs of my head. Many enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. And so that's the end of that. So we see, we have to remember that we are like the widow. And that we, in a helpless state, have nothing to bring to the table. And so we must rely in our prayer to God. And this moves us to the second a second uh, area of, of where our prayer begins to move. Um, after we realize that we are God-dependent, we move to gospel reflection. So this is when, when we realize, God, I don't have anything to bring to the table, and we reflect on what God has already done for us. We begin to move on. And um, we're going to look real quick at uh, Psalm 30, the first three verses. Real quick here. I will exalt you, O Lord, you have, you have rescued me. You, you refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. 
You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. And so we see when we realize our admittance, we admit our, our weakness and dependence to God, then we're able to reflect and recall on what he has done through us through Christ. And then once this tra- another transition takes place to God glorification, our prayer begins to move from um, out of ourself and begin, begin to reflect on what God's done to begin to lift him up. And so continuing on in Psalm 30, we see in verse uh, 4, Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. And he goes on. uh, I'll click the fifth verse here. We don't have it up there. He says, For anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. We may weep through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so in this, we see that our prayer is moved. God, because when we recall on all that he has done for us and his adoption into the fold of God, that we are able to bring our request before him. Going back to the passage in Luke, in verse 8, he reminds us that, I, will t- I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So he reminds us, God is not slow to answer our prayer. In times, it may feel it may feel like, why is God not answering my prayer? Is it, is it not good enough? Did, did I miss a step? What's going on? But in, in 2 Peter 3.9, he reminds us that his compassion for his, for his people, and he, um, he is, is not slow, but, want, but wanting all to repent. And he, so he's teaching us patience in this to wait on him. God is not slow to answer our prayer. So... Um, we have to remember that he will not desert us in our prayer. And right after Jesus says this, reminding us that he will not delay over delay long over us, but he will give justice to us speedily. And he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So think about that. All the more reason to come, to be faithful in prayer if God is coming back again, right? Jesus will be coming back. So this whole frame framework should be looked at. Jesus is coming back. If we remember what he's done and what he's promised to do, that he's going to make everything right again, then that gives us comfort and that gives us the ability to pray. So make your requests known to God. Are you praying for godliness? Are you struggling to kill sin? Well, be persistent in prayer. Are you trying to share your faith? Or are you worried about the unbelief of a, of the, um, a family member or a friend? Well, Jesus says, be persistent in prayer. Have you lost sight of the endless joy and peace in Christ? Are you lacking wisdom and discernment, or do you have anxiety over the future? Well, Jesus says, come to me and be persistent in prayer. Don't be afraid to ask. A uh, cool quote from R.C. Sproul, he said, When I pray, I do not come before God as an isolated individual, but as a member of a family, a community of saints. So we are not alone. We have one another to pray with. And we, we together make up the family of God. And we can come to God together. So our adoption not only shows us that we are free to come to God, but we can boldly approach Him too. We can have a confidence in Him as His children. We now have that right. So just as the widow had a right to come to the judge, we now have confidence in what Christ has done to approach our perfect judge. In his first epistle, um, John says this 
And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. What great news. God, if we pray in his will, if we just pray, we don't have to be persistent just because um, it's a command. But it's not just a duty, not just an obligation, but it's a reward. So whatever your circumstances, let your request be made known from the beginning um, to, for, to understand the good judge that we have as a father and remembering that he will come back. So we are, remember, guys, that we are free to pray persistently. So whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, may we be praying until he returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your perfect sacrifice you have given us freely through Christ, your son. Help us to remember not only that we are counted as righteous, but also that you have adopted us and we are your people. You have rescued us and answered our soul's deepest prayer before we knew the depths of our need. Help us to keep this in perspective when we pray. This is not just some command to pray every day, but to saturate our hearts in your very good news so that we pray with our hearts fully reliant on, upon you. Because what, of what you have done, we are free to pray. We are free to approach you with confidence. Thank you. Let our lives be a reflection of what you have done for us. It is in Jesus' name that I even pray right now. We thank you. Amen.